Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Vegan Proteins Muscles by Brussels Radio. My name is Giacomo. And I'm Danny. And this is our 10th episode. So we wanted to apologize to everybody for getting this podcast up so late. We did record it and upload it at our normal time, but something happened and it disappeared into the internet and we couldn't find it anywhere. And we thought the files were all deleted, so we thought we had lost the whole episode. But I found them just a couple days ago and stitched it back together again. So sorry that it is delayed. To make up for it, we're going to be doing an episode every week for the next three weeks. So really, really sorry. Thank you for listening. It's been a fun week for us. Very, very busy, but pretty fun. This last week, we flew out to Seattle to do the Seattle Veg Fest. And thank you so much for everybody who came out to see us. That was really, really awesome. Yeah, it was actually a lot of fun. It's always nice heading out west and visiting friends and catching up with people that we only see when we're on the road out there. Yeah, it's funny that we we seem to have so many friends that are vegan, but we almost never see them because we're spread out all over the country. So it's nice to get to travel and see them. We got to... We stayed with our Plant Built team member, Ashley Harrison, and her husband, Christopher, and we worked out with Sarah Russer at the gym that she works at all week long, and that was a lot of fun. It's always fun to train train with your teammates and train with other vegan lifters. Yeah, it's fun. It also kind of makes me wish that we all lived closer, but we still get to meet up several times throughout the year, which I'm pretty thankful for. So we'll try to be better about that in the future, mentioning when we're headed out to a city before we head out. So if there's any kind of a meetup and anybody wants to come out and, you know, work out or anything like that, you'll know before we're there instead of the week after like we're doing right now. (laughs) So while we were there, we got to record a couple interviews with people for upcoming podcast episodes. And this week we decided that we would air the episode that we did with Sarah Russert. And what we chose to talk about was eating disorders. So this episode is a little bit darker than some of the previous episodes, but it's a really important topic and something that gets glossed over a lot. Yeah, I mean, it's a somewhat serious topic and it's definitely worth talking about. In the vegan community and in the fitness community. In general, yeah. So here's our our interview with Sarah Russert. Okay, so today we have a very, very good friend of mine with us, Sarah Russert, a.k.a. Little Beast. Hi. And... She is going to be talking with us about eating disorders, which is the topic of our podcast today. And she has some experience with eating disorders, and we're going to be talking about how eating disorders play a role in both the vegan world and in the world of athletics and competitions and things like that. So Sarah, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you became aware of eating disorders and the role they can play in athletics? Well, I think that I initially, in my preteen years, like most young ladies, had a little brush with some eating disorders, but um, I really, the thing is I really like food a lot, so um, anything where I'm having to restrict my food becomes an issue, so pretty much once I um, got, became a little older, I was in high school, um, I was already becoming a vegan vegetarian at that point. And I think that, you know, I had enough focus then on um, what I was eating and it, it just didn't really come up for me. But uh, I started to to kind of fall into that trap a lot of vegans do in my early 20s where you're not really sure what is the right thing to do. So I definitely did strictly raw foods for a while um, and various other things. I want to say clean eating was definitely a little spat I had and, um, you know, just various different forms of veganism, trying to find what was the right one, because I had this idea in my head that, you know, all, all these people are, are finding that, um, veganism is a, is a diet that's making them skinny or helping them to lose weight or helping them to look better. And my experience had strictly been veganism as an ethical, um, decision. So, I was trying to play with my idea of what I should eat as a vegan that would make these things happen for me that other people were claiming. And actually, I think I went through a little bit of that too after I started losing weight. Once I, I had was already vegan when I started losing weight, going vegan is what 
helped me to lose weight, much like Sarah was talking about other people. But once I had already lost a lot of weight, and then I realized that I wanted not just to be thin, but I also wanted to be fit. And I was thin, but I was just a thinner version of my previously overweight self. And I wanted to be muscular and have definition. And I just kept trying to figure out what I had to eat to look that way. And I became more and more sort of obsessed with eating the most pure, clean, unprocessed foods. And I spent a lot of time thinking about these decisions, like way more time than a person should spend thinking about these decisions until eventually my boyfriend at the time said, like, this isn't, you think about this stuff way too much. That's not normal at all. And the more I thought about it, the more he was right. Um, And actually, Giacomo had a similar kind of an issue he took it a little bit further yeah and you know i i initially went vegan i made the switch for health-based reasons someone close to me fell ill and i started doing some research and wanted to help them and just figure out how to live healthier and so for me it's kind of similarly to what happened to to danny and sarah i just started to figure out well what's what's the what type of foods can i eat that will, you know, make me healthier in the long run. And I started, you know, I guess you could call them clean foods. Everyone's definition of what's clean I found is different. But, but you know, just starting to avoid anything processed and starting to avoid anything cooked. And then it's like, all right, well, you know, now I'm eating these food groups, but, you know, maybe I should, I mean, there's, there's just lots of different traps that I fell into as far as eating as I guess in in simple terms, as pure as possible all the time, and finding out exactly how to do that to the point where I, I really, I really wasn't eating enough, and I wasn't eating ba- uh, balanced meals. And you'd be surprised how how easy it is to fall into that trap when you're in a community where it seems like a large portion of people are can can sort of tend to obsess over these things to an, not only to the point where it's stressful, but it's also unhealthy physically to your your body. So how did that wind up for you? Well, it, it you know, it didn't really help me out. I mean, I had my own personal uh, issues as far as, you know, body dysmorphia is concerned, you know, never feeling like I had the right look or what that right look should be for me. And so that that sort of, uh, that that personal issue, I, I fed it with uh, with my diet. And for me, you know, with the, the health kick, it was kind of, well, everyone... I, I grew up in New York City, and, and the raw food scene got kind of big uh, about 10, 10 years ago. And everything was detox this and detox that, and, you know, the you take breaks and fast, and and it's good for you, and it helps you live longer, even though there was no no real proof of this other than philosophy. Well, eventually, after, you know, you fast, and then you uh, get off your fast, but you keep going back to this... this uh, this fasting process, you just keep losing weight. And it's like, at some point, when does it end, right? I mean, you, you're just left with a, a, a slightly emaciated version of yourself. and Or a very emaciated version of yourself. Right. And and at this point, it's like, this is not the way that you, you should be living. It's not healthy at all. And um, it becomes an obsession more than something you're doing to, to better yourself. We've kind of talked about what happens like to a lot of people when they go vegan and how they become hung up on like what exactly they should eat. But there's also a really large prevalence of eating disorders in the athletic world, in particular in the bodybuilding and physique competitor type of world. What happened when you started competing, Sarah? Uh, Well, when I started competing, uh, we were mostly sticking, Danny's my coach, and we were mostly sticking to a pretty strict meal plan uh, just for convenience more than anything. I, I don't think that Danny really required me to eat this exact same way all the time. But, you know, I was new to it. And it was kind of like, just tell me what I have to do. Just tell me what I have to eat. And so I pretty much would eat the exact same things day after day, like most bodybuilding competitors do. And, um, you know, you, there's only so many times you can eat sweet potato, tofu, and asparagus before you're really willing to rip your hair out. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, post-competition, one thing that people, a lot of people warn you about, but you don't really know what it's going to be like until you get there is as soon as you're done competing, after you've been restricting and you've been craving things for so long and you're um, basically starving, you get this kind of like 
no rules thing happens where you're not getting ready for a competition anymore and all of a sudden you don't have restrictions and you can literally not control yourself. You eat and everything's about like, I earned this. I deserve this. I shouldn't, I, you know, I'm, you know, I'm 9% body fat. Why shouldn't I have an entire box of cookies? I can do this and I earned it. So, um, and just like not having to weigh things, count things. Yeah. And you just don't really, you know, without the structure, you don't know what to do. You don't know what to eat. You don't have any idea what to do because you live this really structured life for so long that without it, you've completely forgotten how to eat. Yeah. That's a good, good way to put it. Actually, you forget how to eat. And, um, I definitely had a lot of binge eating problems, um, times where like I literally couldn't stop myself like if there was cookies I could not stop eating them like and I'm not saying like oh haha I couldn't stop eating them I could not stop eating them and there was some kind of weird um you know rationale going on in my brain that would convince me that for some reason it was okay to go back climb up a like a step stool and get the cookies down from where I hid them in the top of the cupboard and then once you're up there it's like you, you can't stop. And it would be like the middle of the night for, for weeks on end. I was getting into these cookies that somehow were in my house, which was horrible. But I just didn't have control over it. Now, I can have things like that in my house because um, we've made some progress with my eating problems. But I can have things like that in my house and I don't get into them. And, you know, I have the amount that I've chosen to have and, and it's not out of control. But I literally had to take a year off from competition and do powerlifting instead because I was having some pretty severe binge eating and then restricting episodes. Yeah. And full, full disclaimer, Sarah was my first ever bodybuilding client. I mean, I've been working with Giacomo for a long time, but she was the first one that I started with before she was competing and we went all the way through the competition together. So a lot of it was like us learning together how to do things. And luckily we found some much better ways of doing things at this point. You know, and and the truth of the matter is, I mean, disordered eating runs rampant in the sport of bodybuilding. And even with knowing what, exactly what you're getting into and exactly what you should be doing and learning through experience, it's still a major challenge to be able to, I mean, because there's so much discipline involved in bodybuilding, right? But how do you, how do you figure out how to discipline yourself, but also... Um, do it properly where you're not in a rigid meal plan that's that you can't maintain <laughs> for the long term. Right. Because for me, I have no problem with those rules. If there's rules and clear structure, I can follow it and I, I can do whatever I'm told. But when it's time to uh, be moderate, I have no idea what to do. Yeah. I mean, we can all follow this rigid plan, but for how long, you know, and that's, that's a thing. I mean, anybody can, can do it once, but at what cost, and uh, and when will you be able to do it again? I mean, we're trying to figure out how to make this a lifestyle, not something to cross off your bucket list where you're doing more harm than good for yourself in the process. And not only does it run rampant within comp- competing, it also is really, really common just in people wanting to lose weight, like people who either have lost a lot of weight or people just looking to, you know, they just want to see their six-pack like once in their life or something like that. Uh, a lot of the tactics that people use to get there are very similar and also wind up with, you know, various types of disordered eating. So what? let's define this. What exactly is an eating disorder? There's several different kinds of eating disorders. Anorexia usually manifests in um, restricting food, restric- restricting calories to the point where you're not eating enough to sustain your body. Um and you generally begin having health problems like hair falling out and other things like that from malnourishment. Yeah, it's like severely under eating and severely over exercising in an effort to lose weight, usually often to a, a very, mm, to get to the goal of a very sort of unhealthy body image. And another restrictive, I guess it's kind of a, a more newly diagnosed eating disorder but it is very real I know because it's what happened to me called orthorexia and that is when you become obsessed with eating only clean pure unprocessed whatever you want to call them foods and this comes with you know eliminating food group after food group I mean 
I came to veganism for ethical reasons only, but once I was there, once I got into, once I got into fitness, I started, you know, I'm going to be soy free and I'm going to be gluten free and I'm going to be oil free and I'm going to be sugar free and maybe cooked food's bad for me. And just being so hung up on every little thing that you won't eat out at a restaurant because you don't know exactly what ingredients are in every little thing and freaking out about basically every ingredient and everything and it not being clean enough to the point that it actually impacts your life negatively and you're spending way too much time on it. So that is orthorexia. And I think you see that one a lot in the raw food movement because, you know, it's like, okay, well, I won't eat tea because it's been dehydrated at a higher temperature than a hundred and six degrees or whatever the current thing is that we follow and um, or, or these spices that have probably been heated too high. So that's, I mean, that's where you definitely start. That's where it started cropping up for me was like anything that was, you know, well, I can't eat these nuts because they might have been pasteurized or what have you. Yeah. And I've, I've been there myself, so I can totally relate to that. I'm sure there are lots of others in the vegan community that can understand where we're coming from. And binge eating disorder is when you basically just raid your pantry or your refrigerator and you just eat, eat, eat everything in front of you uncontrollably and you don't know how to stop it. And it comes and goes in episodes. You know, you'll be eating normally for a day or two or for sometimes only a couple hours and all of a sudden, you know, a trigger goes off and you basically just start gorging on everything around you. And to take it another step is bulimia, which is a cycle of binge eating and also purging, whether that's through vomiting or laxatives or even just exercise, trying to exercise off the calories that you ate during your binge, which would be exercise bulimia. But bulimia is usually a cycle of binging and then restricting and binging and restricting. And then for a lot of people, they're going to fall into this category, which is EDNOS, which stands for Eating Disorder Not Otherwise Specified, which is basically just disordered eating. It's just when you have a really unhealthy relationship with food and eating, but it doesn't necessarily fall neatly into one of these categories above. So for many, many people, that is where they fall, is just they have disordered eating, but not necessarily an eating disorder. Some reasons that this can happen for vegans is coming into veganism for the wrong reasons. You know, we see it's awesome because it brings a lot of people to veganism, but sometimes um, there'll be some book that comes out or something that tells people that if they become vegan, they're going to lose weight. And while it is true that a lot of people do lose weight by becoming vegan, that can sometimes be one of the reasons we see people with eating disorders uh, taking on veganism. Also dietary dogmas. So that's the major one that I think has affected us here is like the idea of clean eating or raw eating or fasting and juicing. And uh, just there's always some kind of new thing that's the right way to be vegan or the right way to be healthy. And it's always, you can recognize it as a dogma because it's always very restrictive of certain things it's like this very absolute uh, yeah very absolute very hyped up and it's like all of a sudden it got discovered out of nowhere but it's been around forever right yeah <laughs> yeah that's true and it's just you know people that are using like scare tactics to get you to stop eating this thing or a lot of people just talking bullshit with absolutely no scientific data to back up anything that they're saying but you know someone who's brand new to veganism especially isn't necessarily going to know any better I mean I consider us all pretty intelligent people and we didn't even know any better back in the day so I mean this is a really common thing for people to fall into who have the best intentions they really do they just want to do everything right but in doing that they really really limit themselves which just sets you up for failure I think one of the other things um is just feeling judged by other vegans. A lot of times, new vegans, they, they start getting involved in different community groups or on different online groups, and they have the most outspoken people are always the one telling them, oh, you shouldn't do that, or you should do this. And um, the most outspoken people generally aren't the ones you want to listen to. Yeah, and unfortunately, that's where most of the intention is. And... Unfortunately, it, it drives a wedge between all of us with in the vegan community. And, you know, we're, we're all trying to do the same thing. Yeah, the judgy vegans are really, really 
really tough to deal with because they're just kind of like bully people into thinking their way. And there's so many different ways to be vegan and you really have to find the way that works for you. But you you can't just step step into a conversation and be like, ew, why are you eating fake meat? Or ew, why are you eating soy? Or, you know, whatever it is that you want to judge people for, just don't. That's not your body. That's not your you're you're not the one eating it. Eat what you want to eat and shut up about what other people are eating. As long as we're all avoiding animal products, I think we can agree that, you know, we're we're here for the same reason. We're all yeah, we're all on the same side here. Exactly. And it, you know, no one's telling anyone else how they should or shouldn't eat. And if you're really passionate and you want to show others what you're doing, you should be leading by example, not preaching and judging others if you really want to create change. Uh another I mean, so obviously this happens in, within veganism a lot. Uh, a lot of people who come to veganism for the wrong reasons are already prone to eating disorders, so they end up with eating disorders. It's not veganism giving somebody an eating disorder. Let's make that abundantly clear right now. There are lots of reasons why people could develop an eating disorder within veganism, which we just talked about, but it is not the vegan diet specifically giving anybody an eating disorder. I'm so sick of hearing that. Um, so also, obviously, like we've talked about, Eating disorders are really, really prevalent within the field of athletics, whether that's competing or trying to make a weight class for a powerlifting meet or a wrestling meet. Why, why would this happen within, you know, within athletics? Well, one is you're focusing way too much on how you look. If that is the number one thing that you're focusing on, you're going to drive yourself crazy. And I mean, especially within the world of competing, you literally go step on stage to be judged by complete strangers for the way that you look and nothing else. I mean, how did that affect you when you were getting ready for your show? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it still, it affects me now. You know, I'm getting ready for a show and um, I have a lot of pressure to look leaner than I did last time. And, and, and that's a tough one as a person with a female body that carries their weight in the lower half of their body. I know that no matter how lean I get, that's where I'm still going to have my fat. So, um, you know, at my last show, I was like 9% body fat. And the biggest critique from the judges was that I wasn't lean enough. And that can make you feel a little crazy. Well, you know, I think there's another, another thing that's coming to mind, which is something that we should be talking about here. When it comes to bodybuilding, we're all trying to go for one particular look. And let's face it, every single person, is every, we are all shaped differently. Everybody has a different, unique shape. Everybody is going to look different. And the end result is, I mean, the reality of it is that the judges are looking for one specific look. And some people may be able to get there faster than others. But that doesn't mean that we can all, we cannot all get there. And the truth of the matter is you should, it's important to be aware of what you look like. But, you know, don't be comparing yourself to others. You should be the best that you can be. And sometimes it can be challenging to to say, well, I'm not good enough or I'm being judged because I can't look like this. But just remember, you can be the best. Or you can only be the best you that you can be. And it's important to accept that and to realize that. Well, along with that goes, you know, you can't go from being 30 pounds overweight to looking like a fitness cover model in 12 weeks. And a lot of people really drive themselves crazy by expecting these huge results in the, I mean, they want them yesterday. They want to get these results really, really quickly. And that can lead to, you know, deciding you're going to diet harder or exercise more and more and more until you're just running yourself into the ground. And I see that even um, as a personal trainer in a gym setting, I see that even just clients that get, um, especially New Year's resolution clients, but, you know, even throughout the year getting ready for summertime, people come in and they're very gung-ho about whatever their idea is that they want to look like by summer and, um, you know, trying to encourage people to make fitness and make health a lifestyle, not just something they do at an unsustainable pace to get ready for summertime, um, you know, try and think of it as a long-term thing and what's going to be the healthiest way to do that for your body, not setting unrealistic expectations for yourself that are going to drive you crazy. Right. And in order to, you know, sometimes people can, like it's physically possible to reach these goals in a certain amount of time, but in order to do it, they're going to have to get really, really drastic with it. And then once they reach those goals, they can't maintain that. And then they end up gaining all this weight back and that just starts a cycle 
And the more quickly that cycle happens, I mean, that leads right into bulimia, basically, is like dieting and then blowing up and then dieting and then binge, you know, it, these things, one leads straight into the other. So expecting realistic results is really, really important to avoid, you know, becoming mentally unwell. Exactly. Be, be real with yourself, accept your body, love your body, and realize that when you put the work in and you're doing it for years and years, you're going to have a pretty damn good-looking version of yourself. And another way that you can find yourself having an eating disorder is by working with a shitty coach. And they there are a lot of awful coaches out there basically just trying to put out inf- I mean they're putting out information and they have no idea what they're talking about giving people cookie cutter meal plans you know just having them diet down on next to nothing wrecking their metabolism yeah unfortunately like i've seen this even people i know who are doing coaching now i've seen some things where i'm like scared for whoever their client is i just think people don't take the health of the person that they're taking care of Um, seriously enough sometimes. Yeah, I mean, it's really cool to have a client that has a kick-ass before and after photo, but what about the after-after photo when the person is, like, you know, completely derailed and doing terribly because they were led to their goal in a really poor manner that doesn't take their health into consideration at all and their mental health into consideration at all, which is part of your overall health, so let's not forget that. So, yeah, not great coaches are not so great. So make sure that you uh, try and stay, you know, talk to people and see who they've worked with before and see what they have to say. And that's really, really important. Just avoid crappy coaches. There's nothing wrong with asking someone you're looking to work with questions and making sure that they're on the same page with what you're looking to get out of the experience of working with them. And, you know, let's just say you start working with somebody and you see these red flags where they're not taking your your mental well-being into account or they're just giving you a rigid plan that doesn't make sense if something looks wrong there's you know it's up to you to to basically break off and and decide that you're not going to to put yourself through that or just ask ask your coach a question uh, you know ask why are we doing it this way why is this happening if they can't give you an answer that's a that's an indication to run the other way so, and then, like we've talked about already several times, this idea of clean eating is really, really useless in the field of athletics. I mean, no one's saying it's bad to eat unprocessed foods and lots of fruits and veggies and things like that, but this idea of pristinely eating all the time is this, it's just a different kind of dietary dogma than what we see in veganism. But either way, giving this idea of morality to certain kinds of foods is going down a bad path yeah I would say if you're ever having times where you are eating and I'm not saying like um you eat an animal product and you feel guilty because I I think that that's normal because it different, violates yeah. your ethics but anytime you feel guilt after eating that's an indicator that you might want to analyze what's going on totally yeah totally food food does not define whether you are good or bad so let's talk about recognizing some of the signs of an eating disorder so again, I think that, that that first one I mentioned, feeling guilty after eating, um, that's a sign that you might want to take a closer look at your relationship with food. Another one would be anxiety about food. Um, if you're feeling overly anxious about food all the time or obsessing about food all the time, you have to consider why. I mean, I think that as bodybuilding competitors, we do obsess about food. We have to know, have a very close relationship with how much we're eating and, and things like that. But I think that we can also recognize that it's for a period of time in relation to what we're doing for a a regular person that isn't getting ready for a show or an athletic event to be obsessing about food and having anxiety about it. it's, It's a bit alarming. Yeah, when you find like your thoughts constantly being on food, if you find yourself having like food dreams or thinking about like, when I say, I mean like waking dreams, like where you're just dreaming about, you know, when this diet is over or something so you can eat a giant bowl of ice cream or something like that. I mean, that's that's not good. If you find yourself obsessing about what you're going to eat at your next meal or, oh my God, how am I going to eat out with so-and-so and I need to make sure that I eat this much. If you're feeling anxious about food, in any way, that's that's not good. That, that's not a normal way to feel about food. Food should be looked at as 
energy and something that is nourishing and satisfying and something that you can enjoy as a normal part of your day-to-day life, not something to get you all worked up and give you a panic attack. I think it's normal to to overeat. When, when you're getting to the point where you're just constantly restricting way more than you should be or you have to, to, to reach your goals, we're just doing it to an extreme fashion. And that's, you know, that's a sign that you have to maybe change your behavior. And it's, it's unhealthy to do that. Or, you know, continuous, continuously restricting could be cutting calories over and over and over again, just keep chipping away at your calories. Or it can be cutting out food groups one at a time, like we mentioned earlier, like soy-free and gluten-free. I'm not going to eat any carb that's white, or it, yeah. I'm not going to eat bread. I'm not going to eat grains. I'm not going to eat... I mean, where are you going to stop? And I mean, think about where you're coming from with this too. I mean, does a, is it a food that genuinely makes you feel bad when you eat it physically? Okay, well then maybe it's okay if you cut that food group out. But if you're just cutting food groups out so that you have fewer and fewer options and think that's going to help you get to your goal or I'm eating cleaner, so I'm going to get leaner, that's not a good thing. That's not a good, healthy way to be looking at your food. Another thing is if you start noticing yourself having episodes of binging, purging, binging and restricting, or exercise purging, then that would be a sign of an eating disorder. And and that's that's my personal experience as I, I'm a binger and a restrictor. And, you know, binging is going to be different from person to person. Some people think having a bowl of chips is a binge and some some people think, you know, plowing through 20,000 calories in a sitting is a binge. It doesn't really matter how much food you're eating. What matters is how you feel when you're eating it. If you don't feel like you're in control of what you're eating, if you feel out of control in any way while you're eating it, that's a binge. And I think it happens to everybody once in a while. And I think that's normal. And I mean, once in a great while. But when it's happening regularly, I would say that's too much. And that that's a red flag that you should be looking for. And then how you respond to that binge even more so. If you just are like, oh, well, that happened. And then carry on. You're probably in an okay place. But if you decide that you're going to, you know, tomorrow I'm going to go to the gym and I'm going to exercise on the treadmill for four hours to to make work up off these. this binge that's bad right that's the, a red flag the other thing would be be things where like you are blacking out or not maintaining touch with reality while the binge is happening or if you literally feel like you don't have control of your body like control of your hands or um to stop yourself those that's pretty serious sign yeah. that it the almost binge feels is, like it's not even you it's not even you you can't stop it um, that's a pretty serious sign that your binging is out of control. Yeah, I mean, and it happens to the best of us. I mean, say you open up a, a large bag of tortilla chips, for example. I could think of multiple times throughout my life that I've done this where, you know, I'm, I'm just going to have a couple chips. I'm just going to have a couple handfuls. And then all of a sudden, there's this giant bag that could feed a small family that was in front of me that's gone. And I don't even know how I did it. Like, I have no concept of how many times my hands reached into that bag and ate. Five minutes later, it's gone. And, and the thing is, um, it's not just that you ate a big chips. It's that you tried to stop yourself. You told yourself, okay, stop, stop, and you and you don't stop. That's more the sign that you had a binge, an out-of-control binge. Uh, another sign that you can look for is when you're looking at the scale, weighing yourself, say, maybe even daily, and then whatever that scale readout is, if it's not what you want to see then that changes how you eat throughout the day. Or how you feel throughout the day. Yeah, and I mean, gosh, there's just so many reasons to not fixate on a number on a scale. I mean, aside from the fact that it's not even that relevant of an indicator of what your your goals are short-term and long-term. There's, uh, I mean, you can fluctuate based on how much water you drank, what time of the day you weighed yourself, uh, how stressed out you were, how much you've slept, whether or not you're traveling, how much sodium was, I mean, I mean, the, the possibilities are endless as far as how much a scale can go up or down several pounds. You know, there's really just no reason to be weighing yourself every single day and uh, changing how you eat daily based on the number on a scale. Or, you know, just changing how you feel. I I get so many people, usually women, but I've had a lot of people say this to me. They're like, I thought I was doing so good this week, and then I stepped on the scale, and I got so sad. And it's like, well, 
why? Because a scale gave you a number that you didn't like and you're going to let that dictate how happy you are? Like maybe you did have a great week. Maybe your measurements are down. Maybe your strength is up. If you were feeling good about yourself and motivated and happy, screw what the scale says. But people become very, very obsessed with the scale. If you're, if you're weighing yourself more than once a day, that is really, really not a good thing. Stop weighing yourself more than once a day. And it definitely can be hard. I mean, Danny has mentioned me on this podcast before as somebody who um, gets upset by the number on the scale not going down. And, you know, when you're trying to get to a certain point, you have this number in your head. It can be really hard not to let that go. But, um, you know, what does it really matter? What, what matters is are you doing good work in the gym? Are you successfully following your diet in a healthy manner? Are you feeling good? Are you feeling strong? Are you feeling like you're progressing. Those are way more important indicators of um, that you're succeeding at fitness. But I think it's really, really common for people to get this idea of a perfect number in their head and think, when I weigh this much, I'm going to be happy or I'm going to love the way I look or someone else is going to love the way I look. And then we've all gotten to our goals at one point or another. Like what changes when you get to them? Nothing, nothing. You're like proud of yourself for getting there. But other than that, nothing. It's a fleeting moment. You're not going to be there forever. Your body is constantly changing and you don't just wake up at a certain poundage and are suddenly happy and love life. You're just you, but smaller or tighter or more muscular or whatever your goal is. So if you are thinking, if you have this idea in your head that once you look a certain way, you'll be happy. One, it's not true. It's, that's not what's going to be the thing that makes you happy. But also, it's it's just not a healthy way to be looking at either food or your body. More often than not, if the number on the scale is your ultimate goal, you know, you might be happy once you see that number hit, but then you look at yourself in the mirror and realize, maybe this isn't necessarily what I was going for. So I think it's a matter of changing your outlook and changing your mindset and realizing that, you know, my goal is to have a better body composition. My goal is to be stronger and do either of these or both of these or, you know, have better endurance or whatever it is and be and have a healthy mindset. And that has honestly, you know, the as far as how relevant the data is and how much it makes a difference, that has nothing to do with the number on the scale. So um, another sign that you might possibly be experiencing disordered eating is eating in private. And that's where you either um, – you don't want people to see you eat because you're ashamed or you feel uncomfortable when people see you eat or because you know you're doing something that's going to cause people to be alarmed if they see you eat, um, either that you're just not eating enough or that you're eating out of control um, where you're eating huge amounts of food and you know that's going to cause people to have a reaction. So for any of those reasons, eating in private or trying to make sure that you're not around other people when you eat is a sign of an eating disorder. So if you've been listening to all these, you know, signs of an eating disorder and you're like, holy crap, I do some of those things, it may be a really good time to take a step back from whatever it is your goals are and just sort of reevaluate your whole situation and whatever it is you're doing to get to your goals and see if, if this is something that you really want to do. Yeah, I mean, like I mentioned before, some of these things are somewhat normal for competitive athletes. Um, and normal doesn't mean they're okay. It just means that they're common. And, um, you know, I definitely obsess about food. I think that I spend a large portion of my day talking about th food, thinking about food, preparing food. But I did that before I was a bodybuilder as well. I was a chef before I was a bodybuilder and uh, a baker for a long time. And um, I spent a lot of my time thinking about food even then. So for me, it's just kind of normal. But at the same time, I do know it gets worse the hungrier I get. And when we're, com you know, we're cutting, getting ready for a show, we're hungry. So you're going to think about food and you're going to try and effectively strategize the best ways to eat or the best ways to feel full. And I recognize that as being an unhealthy relationship with food. But I also know that coming from where I was in the past, that my relationship with food now is a lot more healthy than it was before and a lot less restrictive. So I think that sometimes just acknowledging what's going on and kind of getting in touch with it and thinking about it and kind of spending some time meditating on it. And just kind of reminding yourself that like, yes, you are doing this thing. And yes, it is important to you right now. But 
what really is important is having a, a healthy mental attitude and, and just making sure that you're okay. Yeah. And I mean, we, we did a, almost a whole episode about whether or not bodybuilding was healthy. And this was one of the things that we spent a good deal of time talking about is it does put you in a position where you have to think about food more than is probably healthy. And you have to think about your body more than is probably healthy. And if you're going to do something like that, you really need to know what you're getting into and be prepared for these possible things to happen. And more than anything is you need to be ready to recognize these things before they get out of control. Because if you can't, they can spiral out of control. And there comes like a point of no return, basically, where you're just, you have an eating disorder and you may have it for a very, very long time. And obviously you want to do everything in your power to avoid that before it even starts. And part of that is just recognizing like, oh, I want to step on stage in a competition. I am now in a high risk category for an eating disorder, basically. Yeah. And, and, you know, don't, don't beat yourself up. If something like this happens, you know, it's better to be aware of it, take a step back, reevaluate and get your mind right so that you can do what you want to do for the long term, which is have overall have a, a healthy and fit lifestyle, whether you're competing once, twice, three times, or not at all being active and fit and having and doing it in the most healthful way possible. And there's there's no shame in taking a step back from competing or taking a step back from deciding to, you know, maybe maybe losing 30 pounds is not the best thing for me to be doing right now or what have you. I mean, all three of us at one point or another have taken a giant step back from fitness in general to get our heads on straight and we're only able to come back into our sport of choice once we had that once we had that put together and that time off is so 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 important to really figure figure yourself out before you decide that you're going to throw yourself back into these really drastic goals and i think uh, you know ultimately eating disorders generally don't stem from having a problem with food they're they're a derivative of other things that's going on in your life or you know ways that your personal issues are manifesting, you know, a lot, a lack of sense of happiness or control or fulfillment in your life. Um, this is just one of the ways it commonly manifests. So getting your head into a really healthy space before you start this, so you can avoid an eating disorder is going to be your best. Yeah. If you have some sort of really, really stressful situations going on in your life or in your personal world or what have you, trying to take on a big physique changing goal is only going to exacerbate everything bad that's going on in your life. And until you have those things in order, you can kind of expect all of those things to become more daunting. Yeah, I mean, that's very true, Sarah. And unfortunately, these things don't necessarily pop up until you're already getting ready for a competition or looking to, to change your lifestyle and you start to change the way you eat. And then all of a sudden, you start to fixate on the way you're eating because for whatever reason, you have other personal uh, things going on in your life. So anyhow, it's important to be, to be aware of that. So um, how to avoid an eating disorder? Um, one thing that helped me a lot, and I was very lucky to have a close relationship with my coach last year when I decided that I wasn't going to be competing, was that my partner at the time and my coach, um, I had both been talking to them about some of my food issues I was having, and they both told me that I wasn't behaving in a healthy way and that you know it would probably be a good idea for me to stop dieting for the season. Um, and having people I trusted that I knew would tell me the truth and recognize unhealthy behavior helped me. And, um, you know, the second I stopped working on cutting, I instantly felt better. I instantly stress was lifted off me and I, my relationship with food changed overnight. Like I didn't feel like it was my last chance to have things. So I had to have them all immediately. And I immediately felt like I had control over my eating. And you, you need to have these people in your life, whether it's your partner or your mother or your coach or something, somebody that you trust to be honest with you, not necessarily over worried for you, but tell you the truth when you're acting not normal around food or about your body. 
um, without being over dramatic as a lot of, you know, a lot of people close to us just worry about us for no reason. But you need to have someone that you can trust to tell you the truth about how you're behaving and whether they think you're doing all right. And I think a large part of this is finding a good coach. Find a coach who doesn't just care about getting you like ripped and on stage, but also does care about you like as a human being and how your life will go on after you step on stage or after you reach your your specific like body fat goal or something like that because you do have a life beyond that and if you're not careful you can find somebody who will just send you off into the abyss and you're completely lost after that some other things you can do to avoid getting uh, a, a serious eating disorder would be to try and change your focus um, when you're in the gym instead of focusing so much on losing weight or losing fat Try and put your focus into, you know, becoming a better lifter, becoming stronger, um, building your endurance, building your your fitness, and um, make that make doing one more rep at one thirty five your goal instead of making dropping below one thirty five on the scale your goal. Some other things that can be good is having non-food outlets and non-food rewards. A lot of times we think, oh, you know, I did so good today. I'm going to go treat myself to this dessert or what have you. Uh, Find other ways to treat yourself, especially when you're, you know, you're having a problem with food. Think about other things that bring you joy or make you happy. Like, you know, spending time with someone going out to see a movie or, you know, sometimes people even will do like a clothing reward. You know, I didn't binge. I didn't get into trouble. So I'm going to buy myself a new sports bra or what have you. I don't know. I like sports bras. (laughs) (laughs) Another thing you can do is just be sure to set realistic goals. Don't set, talk, talk to a trainer and try to come up with realistic goals with them. If you have no idea what a realistic goal would be for you, they'll help you to do that because setting goals that are too high just sets you up to fail and feel terrible about yourself and can set you off on an eating disorder because you feel like you're not being disciplined enough and not being strict enough and you wind up being too disciplined and too strict and going in the opposite direction until you're completely unwell about food. Also, avoid classifying foods as being good or bad. There is not bad food. It's not evil. It doesn't make you bad if you ate it. There are things that are definitely less healthy choices and, you know, sometimes we have them, but... um, there's there's no food, you know, as long as you're following your ethics, that is a bad food. Yeah, even the, even the least healthy food, let's say a, a cupcake or something like that, that still has real calories that are going to give you real energy to get through your day. Like if somebody was starving, would they not have a cupcake because it wasn't good for them? No, they'd have it because it would give them energy and make them feel better because even empty and when I say empty I mean without vitamins and minerals even empty calories still have value in the fact that they have protein carbohydrates and fat and those are really important macronutrients for your day-to-day life yeah plus when you're making a choice to eat something plus when you're making a choice to eat something you should feel good about that I mean it's it's really it's sad sometimes because you know, you see people, you're just hanging out with a social engagement, say a birthday party. I mean, that's a real common one where everyone's staring at the cake like, oh, gosh, I, you know, I have to eat this piece of cake. Um, and it's really bad for me. So I'll just be off my meal plan today. Or, you know, this is not something I should be eating. No, it is something you should be eating. You're at a birthday party, you have a piece of cake, and then you feel good about it. And tomorrow you use it for energy. I mean, there's just, you know... Everything in moderation, and when you're having a a balanced uh, diet or a meal program, sometimes you might have a, a treat here or there, and it's not necessarily what you eat every day, but that doesn't mean it's bad for you or it's something you shouldn't be eating. On the other end of that, I think also recognizing that it's okay to just have a small piece of cake or share a piece of cake with somebody so that you can enjoy the moment and not just go into this mindset of, well, I already ate the barbecue, so I might as well eat five pieces of cake. It's a case of the fuckets right there. Yeah. (laughs) And just do myself in. So, I mean, it's about, you know, uh, developing a healthy relationship. And I I definitely, I know it's been touched on before, but um, flexible dieting was really the key to this for me because I've been able to now this season of dieting or this season of cutting, getting ready for a show, I haven't been restricting. There's no food that I can't have 
if I want to have it. And that means that when I am done with my shows and I have to reverse diet, um, I'm not going to be like, oh, but I haven't had blah, blah, blah in eight months and now I need to have it all. Instead, it's going to be like, oh, well, you know, I haven't had like a giant gorging myself plate of nachos, but I did have a couple tortilla chips the other day and I'm not in this desperate state of like desiring something so bad that I cannot handle myself. Yeah, it's really, really important to find a balanced approach to eating Whatever that means for you. I personally love flexible dieting. Um, Giacomo is coming around. He's starting to love it too. I guess the most important thing we could say on this entire podcast is if you think that you have an eating disorder or that you are headed towards having an eating disorder, reach out and get help. Um, Talk to your doctor. See if you can talk to a psychologist or a psychiatrist and just have a therapist that you can talk to who can help you get to the root of these the causes of these eating disorders because they're not a joke and once you are in the throes of one and are really deep into it it is very 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 difficult to get out of and there's absolutely no shame in getting professional help with it a lot of times that is the only way out is to be consistent and work really really hard on yourself to get yourself out of these situations and a couple good resources if you don't have a primary care doctor You can go to nationaleatingdisorders.org, and they have a lot of information about doctors in your local area that may be able to help, but they also have a 24-hour chat line, so you can talk to somebody online, and they also have a helpline if you want to talk to somebody on the phone, and that is 1-800-931-2237. But really, even though all these tips are helpful and they can give you some ideas of you know where you stand right now the most important thing is to make sure that you really do get the professional help that you need if you need it so do not be afraid to reach out for that all right well thank you so much for coming on the show today sarah we really really appreciate your insight on you know eating disorders and and the like where can people find you if they want to get in touch with you um i can be found on instagram uh, little underscore beast XVX. Um, also, I'm on Facebook, Sarah Russert. Um, you can find me there. Uh, I have a blog, leanmeanveganmachine.blogspot.com. Um, also on the Plant Belt team. So you can find me on the Plant Belt website. And if you're in the Seattle area, she also te- is a trainer at Gold's Gym on Capitol Hill. So you should go work with her. Really great having you on the show, Sarah. Thank you. This episode's product review is going to be on Eve's Veggie Canadian Bacon. That may be pronounced Ives, I'm not sure. It's the Y-V-E-S. And yeah, it's their Veggie Canadian Bacon, which you can find in a lot of big chain supermarkets. Unfortunately, not around us. We have to get ours from Whole Foods. But it's, you know, it's it's a vegan mock meat or analog or whatever you want to call it. And initially, there doesn't seem to be anything special about it at all. It's non-GMO soy, although it does not appear to be certified organic. It just looks like any other mock meat. The cool thing about this is the macros on it are just out of this world. They're so, so good, especially like we're both on contest prep now. Giacomo's finally joined us on contest (laughs) prep, and he's realizing that, you know, as certain macros decrease, it's really, it, it can be a little daunting to find stuff that fits. And The macros on these are actually better than protein powder, Mm -hmm. which is pretty incredible. The amino acid profile may not be quite as good as protein powders that are specifically formulated for that, but, but the macros on this are awesome. In three slices of this vegan Canadian bacon, you get 17 grams of protein, one gram of carbohydrates, and a half a gram of fat. You can't, you can't beat that. I haven't seen anything out there that beats that. Yeah. I mean, most plant-based protein powders contain anywhere from i want to say two to eight grams depending on the formula of carbohydrates per serving of protein and that's giving you anywhere from a i don't know 20 to 25 gram of protein serving so you figure you know to get your your protein in while you're on contest prep and your carbs are are being removed from your meal program when you're you're adding in 
protein powder, you're taking those precious carbohydrates that you could be having with other food and dedicating them to protein shakes. Whereas if you take something like this, this Eve's Cane bacon, you, you know, you can get 30, 34 grams of protein, full serving roughly, with only two grams of carbohydrates. I mean, that's... And one gram of fat. And one gram of fat. And then you can save those those grams of fat and grams of carbohydrates for... Other something. foods. Foods that actually are filling. Yeah. You know, something you can chew as, as opposed to... I mean, not that there's anything wrong with shakes, but I mean, nobody wants to have shakes all day. Yeah. So I've gotten a lot of people turned on to these ever since I found them, which was not that long ago. Found them searching through the Vegan Essentials website, and it was like I found the Holy Grail or something like that. Um, I've showed a lot of my contest prep clients this product and they absolutely love it. So if you see it out and you happen to be in some sort of a cutting or dieting phase or what have you, I suggest giving it a shot. It's not, you know, it's it's nothing special as far as a mock meat goes. It tastes a lot like, you know, tofurkey slice or something like that. But the macros on it are way, way better. Yeah. And speaking of vegan essentials, I'll give you a little pro tip if you're ordering online, which I highly recommend supporting vegan essentials, a small shop. If you order on a, uh, they do their ordering on a Monday. So if you order in bulk on a Friday, you can get it shipped to you a lot sooner because they they order in bulk on Mondays, and uh, you know we we get this stuff by the caseload from Vegan Essentials. Yeah, so give it a shot. I'm just looking at the vitamins on it, which I hadn't even looked at before. One serving of it has. 25% of your daily iron, 30% of your B12, and 30% of your zinc. That's pretty impressive, I think. I didn't even notice that before. So, yeah, if you if you see it, just check it out and let us know what you think of it. Moving on to our question segment here. We have a question from Twitter. At Namaste Nixie asks, how many grams of vegan protein do you eat per kilogram of body weight? All right. Well, to answer that question, my suggestion is the same whether it's an endurance-based athlete or strength-based athlete as far as protein consumption goes. I'd suggest, in kilograms, I'd suggest anywhere from 1.75 grams to 2.6 grams of protein per kilogram of lean body mass. So whatever your lean body mass is, that's how much protein you should be taking in. For those that are curious as far as pounds go, that's 0.8 to 1.2 grams of protein per pound of lean body mass. And, you know, I guess the big difference is for as an endurance athlete, you may be consuming more uh, more food overall. However, your protein consumption is still going to be the same. It's going to be enough to support your lean body mass. And that's that's my thought on that. All right. And we have another question over here. Uh, hello. I want to start a vegan lifestyle. Can you recommend me great books to learn about veganism, please? So there are so many books about veganism out now, and I'm sure that there are some great ones that I'm going to miss here. But some really, really good books that helped me a lot when I was going vegan 12 years ago were Becoming Vegan by Brenda Davis. It just sort of breaks everything down as to like the logistics of how to set up your vegan diet for the first time and why you do things like avoid wool and avoid silk and things like that. And the other book was Diet for a New America by John Robbins, which does a really good job explaining the larger systems, you know, like how farm factories affect, you know, the environment and affect starving children and et cetera, et cetera. It really did a good job explaining the interconnectedness and why veganism can be so important. And then another book that I actually haven't read, but I've heard wonderful, wonderful things about it from so many people is called Eating Animals by Jonathan Safran Foer. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. But I believe he was an undercover investigator at farm factories, factory farms, and he writes about his experiences there and people's disconnect with these animals as living beings and, you know, the food on your plate. Mm-hmm. So if you're interested in, like, the the ethical side of veganism and why that may be something you want to c- consider, those are the books that I would recommend. If you've already decided that you want to go vegan and you're just trying to figure out, you know, what you should actually eat, One book that I really, really loved was The Kind Diet by Alicia Silverstone. 
And I thought that it was going to be terrible because a lot of times books written by celebrities are just not very good. But I was really, really surprised. It was outstanding. It really covered a lot of ground as far as the ethical side, the health side, the environmental side, and then lots and lots of recipes that were everything from like, you know, crazy superfood, hijiki salads to, you know, vegan tofu buffalo wings and stuff like that so there was a really wide range I think that's a great starter book and then some other cookbooks that I think are really really good a nice simple one that's really delicious and pretty cheap to make the stuff in it is The Happy Herbivore by Lindsay Nixon she comes up with really affordable whole food plant-based usually oil-free recipes that are cheap to make and they're usually really good and then any book by Issa Chandra Moskowitz is just outstanding. I've never made a bad recipe that she's written ever, ever, ever. Uh, Vegan with a Vengeance was the first cookbook that I bought from her, and it's still got like all the pages worn. I just absolutely love that book. Uh, Veganomicon is like an expanded version of Vegan with a Vengeance. A little bit fancier recipes. So many recipes to pick from. It's like the joy of cooking, but a vegan version. It's fantastic. And then she also wrote books like Vegan Cupcakes Take Over the World, Vegan Cookies Take Over Your Cookie Jar, and again, haven't ever made a bad recipe from any of her cookbooks. And they also run a website called theppk.com that has a ton of recipes on there as well. And all of those are really, really great cookbooks that I highly recommend that you check out. And that completes our episode of Vegan Protein's Muscles by Brussels Radio. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in. Please stay in touch with us in the meanwhile. And you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Vegan Protein. My name's Giacomo. And I'm Danny. And we will talk to you in two weeks. Then